We're in a topic that people have been arguing about for so long that I thought it would be a good idea to go through all of what Paul said, not some. If we could just learn about God without ever reading his word, yeah, that would be so American, so expedient if we could do that. But the best way to learn about God is to actually read his word. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm going to be honest, last week we said we were kind of knee deep, we're going in chest deep. Today we're going about neck deep, okay, in scripture. Just bear with me. I didn't write this, Paul did, okay? Paul wrote it. Somebody else asked me, why is this so repetitive? I want to answer that question right up front. In chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, Paul wanted to make sure that they understood what he was saying, and he repeated it in no less than three or four different ways over and over. And I figured we have two choices. We either follow what Paul wanted us to know, or we just edit Paul. And I thought between those two, it seemed more spiritual to just read more scripture than to just edit the apostle himself. You know, I don't know, just thought. So if you're feeling a little bit unspiritual, like, oh, we're reading too much scripture, that's, you should feel guilty. Unspiritual, what's the word that we use? Carnal, you should feel carnal. You should feel like you're still a carnal Christian because you don't like God's word. You know, you'd rather that I just told jokes the whole time. Shame on you. All right. We've done our introduction. We've talked about the spiritual gifts inventory. We've begun talking about this debate between charismatics and cessationists. We're in the heart of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which we covered in detail last week. And tonight we're doing chapter 14. Since this is a cumulative study, every question builds on another one, we've got to review where we've been already. So tonight, as we do 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to go through the questions we've already covered. Who's got a stopwatch or a timer on them? All right. I'm going to do this as fast as possible. The rules are you can't interrupt and disagree and debate. Not yet. Okay. What are all the spiritual gifts? Here they are. Where are they found in the Bible? Right there. Are they still active today? Yes. What about tongues healing and are those still around? Open question. Does every Christian have a gift? Yes. Scriptural citations. Is it okay not to have a spiritual gift? Trick question, every Christian has a gift. Are they all equally important or equally effective? The answer is, God values them all. They may not be effective, depends on how you use them. You've got to put them in the right context. Paul's been talking to the Corinthian church about that. What's the difference between a spiritual gift and a natural talent or skill? We are going to spend more time talking about it, but the answer we've come up with so far is, of course, the definition of a spiritual gift is it's given by the Holy Spirit supernaturally to believers. So a natural talent may be given to unbelievers, it may be given to believers, it's just something that God gives all natural talents, but spiritual gifts are specifically given by the Holy Spirit. Do spiritual gift inventories work? Can we discover our gifts without a test? What we've discovered so far in looking at the test, is it's just a little subjective. Some people do better, some people score themselves higher. People who are kind of more introverted score themselves lower, extroverts tend to score higher. People who think highly of themselves tend to score higher. Okay, we found that out. We suggested maybe a better way to do it is do an inventory and then get with some people who know you to kind of comment. All right, are the spiritual gifts the same as the fruit of the Spirit? No. We cited from Galatians 5, 22 and 23, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And of course, this fruit of the Spirit, all Christians should be striving for. Do non-Christians have spiritual gifts? No. Can I pray for spiritual gifts? Well, you can pray for anything you want. But given that the Holy Spirit gives these to the body according to his desire and his belief in what is good for the body, Paul says he gives as he sees fit. 
I add on here this little caveat. If you think you know better than the Holy Spirit what's needed for the body, go ahead and give him a call and see how that one works out. Okay? <laughs> Should we minister only in the areas in which we have gifts? No. There's some things that Christians are commanded to do regardless of whether you're gifted or not. Evangelism and missions and spending time serving the poor and those things, regardless of whether you have gifts or not, you should probably be in those areas. Giving, tithing, you know. What gift is the holiest and best gift and do I have it? Stated another way, are certain gifts a sign of salvation? For example, tongues. Answer according to Paul, no. No. How do we know that? We're going to look at that one more time tonight. All right, what's the time? Okay, so we summarized, <laughs> we summarized the last three weeks in three minutes and how much? Three minutes and two seconds. Two seconds. I was trying to get down under three, but got tripped up on my words there a couple times. All right, so there, we've cumulatively reviewed where we've been. These are still coming, these questions here. Can our gifts change? Can you lose the spiritual gifts? Are some gifts obscured? How do you cultivate a gift if you have one? Why do all the big gifts seem to be you know, taking place elsewhere. Do we not see the gifts in America because of lack of faith? Should our gifts be used in secret? How would you explain to someone who's growing in their faith that everyone has a spiritual gift? Can I use my spiritual gift anywhere in all contexts? This is kind of the map because this is such a kind of a complicated subject to get through of where we are. We've gone through some of these places here. We're deep in our analysis of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, which is going to lead us next week into talking about why some people claim that those gifts, those miraculous gifts, have ceased. We're going to come back to their arguments now that we understand 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 in more detail. Some of you are asking, what about all the other gifts? Well, the reason we spend so much time on the miraculous gifts is because that's where Paul spent three chapters talking about. He didn't speak much about the others. But we are going to talk about them. We're going to come back to the gifts that probably most of us have and actually understand them and learn how to apply them. That's at the end. So we've still got a couple more weeks ahead of us. Let's go to scripture. Now I can slow down a little bit. Paul has just finished chapters 12 and 13, where in my opinion, and in the opinion of many people, he's made a very, very clear case about how gifts are to be used. Remember the church at Corinth, as we talked about last week, was a very screwed up church. They were all seeking certain gifts, especially tongues. And he's just finished admonishing them and telling them that forget all the gifts, love is supreme. And some people think, why would you even, after ending with this beautiful passage on love, go back and say it all over again one more time? Look at what he says in verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their own strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so the church may be edified. We just finished, if you remember from last week, Paul's telling everybody, you're focused too much on the gifts. And it sounds like he's starting to remind people to seek certain gifts, which might contradict everything he's just said. Why do you think he says something like, 
I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather that you have prophecy. Why, would, why does he even say, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues? Does he mean that we should all try to speak in tongues? Is that what Paul is saying? I don't think Paul is saying that everyone should seek tongues. I think it's the way he's using a figure of speech. How do I know that? Because if you remember back here in 1 Corinthians 12, 29 to 30, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gift of healing? So it seems like what he's really saying is, first, I think prophecy is a better gift than tongues. Why would he say that to the Corinthian church? They were, that, that was like their, the, the highest gift. They had decided that speaking in tongues was the most important one, it seems. They'd made it primary over everything else. So he was saying, hey, by the way, first of all, I think prophecy is better than tongues. Why? Because at least prophecy, people can understand that. It helps the whole church. Yeah. How is prophecy different from speaking in tongues with interpretation? If there's interpretation, you mean? Yeah. That's a good question because I'm going to leave the interpretation piece because he actually adds it. And, and you see here this last line where he says, he who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues unless it's interpreted. Gift of prophecy is receiving a word from the Lord and telling it to the body. The gift of tongues may be you speaking something that the Spirit has prompted. It may be the same thing, it may not. So he's still making prophecy kind of primary. And why would they be focused on tongues? Because it was a cool gift. If you could stand up and start speaking in a language nobody understood, people thought, wow, you must be holier. You must be, you're really far along in your relationship with God because you're doing all these amazing things. All right, so Paul is basically setting up this idea that prophecy, better than tongues. Trying to correct a church that's out of control on tongues. But I want to, this, this sentence yellow here, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, has been used by a lot of people who say, pray for tongues, you'll receive it. Because Paul told us everyone should speak in tongues. I don't think that's what he's saying. He's saying, sure, it would be great if we could all speak in tongues, but I would rather that you prophesied. That's different than saying scripturally it says everyone will speak in tongues. Even if is the kind of phrase he's making. All right, let's go on and look what else he says. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? What good is it going to be if I just show up and start speaking in tongues? Would you understand what I was saying? He says, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a flute or harp, how will anyone know what is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Again, Paul seems to be saying it doesn't do us any good if we can't understand what you're saying and yet you put so much emphasis on the gift. If I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. Why is that so troubling to Paul in the church? Is he just against immigration? <laughs> yeah. We just made the case a while ago that we're all one body, we're, we're supposed to be united together. 
Exactly. If we're supposed to be a body, he's looking for a way to build the church. He even says it. Try to excel in the gifts that build the church. It's a plea. Do what it takes to build the church. If we can't understand one another, how can we be in community together? How can we be one body if we don't even speak the same language? Now, some people look at this and say, you see, that means that Paul is saying the gift of tongues is that gift where you speak in different languages, not the holy language, or whatever you want to call it, the heavenly language. Hey, I don't think Paul really is concerned with exactly what the gift is. What he's concerned with is if we don't understand one another, we can't build the body. For this reason, anyone who speaks in tongues should pray that he may, that he may interpret what he says For if I pray in a tongue, or my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can anyone who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Again, you can repeat it four times in a row if we don't understand each other. But here what he's saying is, even if you pray in tongues by yourself, and you don't even know what you're saying, how can you really be praying? Even Paul, who does pray in tongues, he also prays with his mind. Even if he were to sing in tongues, in other words, he would sing with his mind. What he's saying It's not enough just to speak tongues. Because if you don't know what you're saying, you're not really having a very robust prayer life, are you? Paul throws a zinger in. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Kind of a reminder to them of his apostleship, of his authority over the church. He's saying, hey, wait a minute. Let's get something straight here. I speak in tongues more than all of you. But, and there's the but, but... In the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. In the Greek language, 10,000 is like the highest number that you have a word for. So he's giving a range. I'd rather speak five words that we all understood than an almost infinite number of words in tongues. Could he make the case any stronger? Has he beat the point to death yet? And he's trying to speak to a rebellious church who insists on it. Now, why is that important to us? Well, because if we're going to understand this debate in modern times, it seems like his words would be just as strong to us today. Tongues and the miraculous gifts exist no more than they existed then. They might exist less, but they're not going to exist more. These words should be even stronger, maybe in our context today. All right, now put on your thinking caps for a second. He's about to tell us what tongues are for, and it's a little confusing, but just follow. I'm not going to edit God's word. I'm just going to keep reading it. All right? Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thanksgiving, be adults. In your thanksgiving, remember he was just explaining, in your thanksgiving, you're speaking to God be adults. In the law it's written, through men of strange tongues and through lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. 
This is a prophecy, by the way, that was handed down to Isaiah. Who is this people? Who would that be? Israel. He's going to speak to his people, the Jews. He's going to speak to them. So one of the things we're going to see next week when we talk about the criticism of the use of tongues is going to be that God said that tongues were going to be used for his people. Not just in general, but they're meant to be a sign for his people. Paul goes on to explain it. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. Don't let that line escape you. That's a very key line. Tongues are not for the believers. Why? Why would he say that? I mean, isn't it the believer that's using tongues? Some people say that what Paul is directly saying is, and it seems clear from the context, tongues were meant to be a sign to Israel that you will hear strange language coming and you will not understand it. And it will be a sign of your unbelief. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord, when they hear this strange tongue. Prophecy, however, Paul says, is for everybody. Because the Lord speaks clearly and the prophet is understood and he speaks to the whole body together. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I mean, it's great that Paul is saying this because a lot of us have had this charge sometimes. When you see some of the charismatic worship settings of people like bouncing up and down on the ground, speaking in tongues, some people are like, this can't be decent and in order. And then we think, are we just uptight? Maybe freedom in the spirit is meant to be like this kind of like free for all. And he's saying, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and, we, and he will be judged by all. And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Seems like his point here is prophecy, especially the type of prophecy he's hinting at, which is not just the Lord has told me, but maybe a prophecy that says, the Lord has told me that you, Tiffany, this is what you're dealing with. And all of a sudden, like, oh my God, you're like, like, how do you know that? Maybe that's how the gift of prophecy was being used like all of the miraculous gifts, to authenticate the authority of the apostles and the early Christians. Something miraculous was happening that only God's power could give. Prophecy does something for the body. Unbeliever comes in, he's convicted by his sin, he goes, how could you know that? Tongues, he'll just think, you guys are crazy. What shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there are no interpreters, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Right. Uh, Let's say someone has the gift of interpretation. and Does that mean they, they can interpret any kind of tongue that comes out? What happens if the interpreter doesn't understand what the guy's talking about? You know what? I've heard practically that means that they don't have the interpretation of that tongue. But if there's no one who can interpret what you just said, 
I guess the, the, the instruction from Paul is, let's not do that again until we know that there's somebody there to interpret. And that may be a clue that maybe that person doesn't have tongues. I mean, I don't know. Do it privately. Why? Because you're not helping anybody at that point. Let's, let's just think logically for a second. Paul is a church builder. That's what he does. He goes from city to city planting churches and trying to raise up this movement. His primary concern in the end is to have a vibrant church body. Anything that takes away from that is really of concern to him. And he keeps saying it in different ways. This, if it doesn't help, let's not do it. Of course, we know the context is probably making him more sensitive. Because in Corinth, everybody wanted to do it to show off. So he's trying to be extra harsh on them at this point. But I think his words are no less true. Just because they were showing off or because they think this is the right way to worship, I think the truth is still the same. Let's not do this if it doesn't help the body. And if a stranger walks in and looks and says, what is going on? Or it doesn't help them understand because there's no one to interpret. That could have been the greatest word from the Lord just came down. Uh, By the way, I I say that wrong. It's not that it came down. That person may have been prompted to, to proclaim something that the Holy Spirit has put in their heart as a prayer. Let's say it that way. If we don't know what, it, what he's doing, it's not helping. You know? And they can do that on their own time, is what he's saying. Look, he even says the same thing about prophecy. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. He's saying, look, two or three prophets should speak, and others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, in order, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. I think that just is really leading us into next next week's discussion about the modern practice of the gifts and the criticism of it which I think is fair. We're going to be, we need to spend time there. Now, I'll tell you, I was tempted to stop uh, reading 1 Corinthians right here because it seemed like a good place to stop. Here's the rest of 14, just so that we don't edit the word of the Lord. As in all congregations of the saints, women remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husband's at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Let me just point out a couple things about that. This seems to follow his discussion of orderly conduct in church, not necessarily spiritual gifts. So let's make sure that's clear. Second, he makes it clear that women should ask their husbands, so this doesn't apply to single women. <laughs> no, actually, I don't know if that's true. Anyway, let me make the greater point. He's following up his discussion on orderly conduct, so... I don't really believe that this has to do with spiritual gifts. He's just talking about the order of worship. We are separately, as we've talked about, going to discuss women in church and in ministry. And I'm going to have Dr. Sumner come in and do that. And we may set it up as a fun time, actually debate. Like have a live debate, like me versus her. You just watch me get crushed. You know, her like seven PhDs and my like, you know, part-time hobbyist theologian degree, right? You know, so, yeah. But part of it is related to indecency and order that Paul's referring to. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of contextualization of this. I know you don't want to go there. No, 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 but I think it's fair that you bring that comment up. That it appears that he's addressing sometimes, some people say he's addressing a 
cultural issue. Other people have talked about that in certain churches, the women would go in, now that they found this freedom in Christ, they were becoming free from some of their cultural norms and berating their husbands in the church, trying to expose the sin in their husbands' lives. And this was the kind of stuff he was talking about. The only thing that really leaves me with a pause is when he says, as in all congregations of the saints, like it almost seems like he's taking it out of the context of a specific church. Seems to be a pretty broad, sweeping statement. So anyway, that's in there. Leave it. Just think about it. We're going to come back someday and actually address that. So here's where he ends to the Corinthians in this chapter. Did the word of God originate with you? I mean, hear the stinging nature of that. These people thought they were so special. They thought they were it. Speaking in tongues and practicing their gifts and all this stuff. Thinking that they were the right people. By the way, remember, tolerating sexual immorality. Letting the, the, the rich act as gluttons at the feast of love. Getting drunk at the communion table. I mean, you know, these guys wanted to look spiritual. We're not acting it. But even accepting their desire. Paul's words are pretty cutting. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am saying to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. What an interesting way to end all that. First of all, why does he sound a little stinging there at the end? Why is that rebuke there? Remember, the Corinthians rejected, some of them rejected Paul's apostleship. Some of them rejected his authority. And he's almost throwing down the gauntlet there. So you guys think some of you are prophets? Go ahead and prophesy that this is not really the word of God. Or he actually says it the other way. Go ahead and confirm this is the word of the Lord. He says, let him acknowledge what I'm saying is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. I wonder if that word is a little stronger than ignored in the Greek. He's pretty riled up at the end that he's had to do this corrective teaching. And as we know from history, the, the Corinthians didn't listen to him. He writes 2 Corinthians, some of the problems are still there. And we know from church history that years after Paul is gone, they're still fighting the same issues in Corinth. But here's the balance. My brothers, be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's not saying tongues are bad. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Next week, what we're going to do, now that we've soaked in all this scripture and taken Paul's words, and I think it would be unfair, by the way, to look at the church today and to continue talking about charismatics or cessationists or even our own idea of spiritual gifts, even what our gifts are, until we knew what Paul's teachings were and until we knew what the problems were that he was addressing. Because otherwise, we'd just be saying whatever we felt. We'd be just talking like, oh, this is my opinion. I want you for the next couple of weeks when we start looking at what are the problems that seem to go on in charismatic churches that people point to? Are those legitimate to point to? Do they comport with what Paul would say to our churches today? Because like I said, maybe the gifts have diminished, but they're not going to be any more active than they were. And he was addressing a very active church with what to do. And if you go to a charismatic church today and you walk in, they claim, and I don't know that they're right or wrong yet. We'll, leave, we'll reserve judgment. They claim that all the gifts are still active and they're all being used, just like in Corinth.
So I want you to use this scripture that we've done now. This is your basis for when we go forward and analyze it. I don't want just our opinions to say, well, I think what the Lord should do, or I would think, let's use the word of the Lord as our basis. And look at that last question. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Next week when we pick this up, you're going to see that the number one charge seems like that is made against charismatic churches is this is not orderly. This is not of the Lord. Oh, that's a tough thing to say. Like, that can't be of the Lord because it's not orderly. And I want you to say, agree or disagree. We'll bring in some examples. We'll get a little bit more practical next week. We won't have to go through a whole chapter. You'll be very happy about that. We'll just cite a couple verses. We'll remind you of some of these things. But if you can, next week, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible so that you can flip back and forth. As we start to analyze what people are actually doing, it would be great if you could say, well, wait a minute. In verse 18, it says this and actually cite it back to us and use what we've learned kind of as our basis and our opinion is well-informed. Yeah. Uh, it seems like Paul's kind of more focusing on tongues in these chapters and also focusing on prophecy. Is that because those are the only two gifts that they're really misusing? Because it seems like he doesn't really talk about too much of the other spiritual gifts, you know? It's not that those were the only gifts that they were misusing. It seemed like they were misusing quite a few of them. But those were the ones they were coveting the most. They had valued those as the highest So everyone was trying to create their own pecking order of gifts where like tongues was king, it seems. And that's why he focuses so much on what's so good about tongues. Prophecy is better than tongues. That seems to imply that their problem was more with tongues. It probably might have been with prophecy too, especially when he starts to tell them like, hey, even with prophecy, you know, let's evaluate what's being said. But the answer to your question directly is, yeah, I think... They were just focusing on tongues as the greatest among all of them. I was sensitive to a comment that was made earlier that was, let's focus on some of the non-miraculous gifts that we might all have. Like maybe none of us have these miraculous gifts. We're going to end there. But the problem is we don't have scriptural support for that as much. We have an explanation of how they've appeared in the Bible. Like, for example, he doesn't spend much time talking about healing, but we all pretty much understand what it is. You know, he doesn't have a, a big, he doesn't have a big example of what it means to have the spiritual gift of giving. But we kind of know what it is, you know. So in the end, by the way, if you, if you hold on to it, what we're going to do is we're going to end up in a place where we go, okay, now that we're done with all the big debate over the sensational stuff, let's talk about mercy. Let's talk about giving. Let's talk about helps. Let's talk about administration, how you put those into action. Next week we'll have a little bit more fun because next week we get to bring in some of the examples of what people say they can do these days and we can evaluate those. We're going to talk about the people who hear from God and what they hear. We're going to bring examples of what people have said they've healed and all this kind of the fun stuff. We start to actually do it, and I want you guys to start looking at it. And uh, I want you to use Scripture as a basis of your comments, so keep that in mind. Lord, I think our temptation is to believe whatever happened in the city of Corinth is not relevant to where we are today. How can we be ignorant about what these gifts are about? Lord, many of us have just worked in our ministries throughout our lives with whatever natural abilities we have and have not considered the impact of what our spiritual gifts could be. Holy Spirit, move aside all of these words that I have spoken. Let your word be what we base everything on and illuminate for us what you want us to know about the giftings that you have. Everything else is nonsense, Lord, but your word stands. Let your word grow in our hearts And let your truth be planted firmly therein so that we might understand what it is you have to teach directly from you. 
Holy Spirit, make it so supernaturally if it needs to be. Let your word come forth into our hearts directly so that we know what it is you have for us in this subject. Pray these things in your name.